hello, hello. Today, I'm going to be talking about something I just started seeing in the Word and something that's stirring in my heart a lot. And uh, I think if you're open to it, you can receive a lot from it. And I'm just going to start off with a quick little prayer. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus. We just come to you. We give you all that honor, that glory, and that praise that you just oh so deserve. I thank you that you're going to speak to every heart whose ears this podcast touches. And I thank you that they will have eyes to see, ears to hear. I thank you that I will say what you need me to say. You'll speak through these lips of clay, Father God. You'll think through my brain. Thank you, Father God, that your just wonderful grace and anointing is over this teaching. I hope you guys are doing awesome today. I am doing wonderful had breakfast with a great group of people and came home and just been in the Word for a couple hours. And uh, basically, God told me to start this podcast in like December. And it's going, it's a March right now. So I actually recorded the first one, but it, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like it. I wanted to record something else. So, and I believe this is going to be it. But uh, basically, I hope you just come into this with an open heart. The name of this podcast is The Pen of a Ready Writer. You know, I'll just speak about that for a second. In Psalms 45, in the first verse, it says, My tongue, excuse me, my heart is initiating a good thing. Let me just turn to it. I can quote it, but I want to feast my eyes on it. And before we even start this podcast, um, I am more of a teacher type. So I use a lot of scripture. So I really encourage you, have a Bible in front of you. At the very least, have your phone. If you can't do any of that, write these things down. Write them down in your phone, piece of paper by you, whatever it is. Go back to these scriptures. Don't just listen to me talk about them. Feast your own eyes on it. You know, that's a sermon in itself, to be honest. But I use a lot of scripture. I flip to a lot of things. If you get annoyed with that, well... Sounds like you don't, you're not excited about God's word, but hopefully I can help change that today. The Holy Ghost through me. But this verse in Psalms 45, the very first verse, it says, My heart is initiating a good matter. I will speak of things which I have made touching the king. And then it says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And the reason I like this verse is because in Proverbs, the third chapter, I believe it's the third verse, it says, Write these things. What things? The Word of God. What Jesus says, it says, write these things upon the table of your heart. Well, how are you going to write these things? <laughs> your pen's the tongue of a ready writer. You know, what did God tell Joshua? Joshua, the first chapter. Let me turn here real quick. Praise Jehovah. says right here, Joshua 1 8 says, This book of the law, or we'd say this Bible, it's not it shall not depart out of your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night, that you can observe to do according all that's written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, before God tells him to meditate, he says, Let it not depart out of your mouth. You know what I'm saying? You'll never rise above how you're speaking. If you're speaking doubt, unbelief, if you're not speaking in love, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to experience the full blessings of God. And it's not, it's not some secret formula and it's not some sort of your own righteousness that God's going to bless you. Basically, you're, you, you live this holy and, and good life for your own benefit and for the benefit around you. It's not because God is requiring you to do something to earn his love. And 
I'm sure I'll get into that a little bit today, but that's kind of, that's where the name of the podcast go. And you know, it's sort of a play on words. It's a podcast. It's, it's not a video. It's you just listening to my voice, listening to my tongue. You know, when the Bible uses the word tongue, it's talking about speaking. So just kind of funny, but what I want to talk about today, I guess I think I'm going to name this, uh, whom Jesus loves, whom Jesus loves or loved or loved, whichever you want to say. And, uh, it's going to seem like this is going nowhere, but if you just stick with me, I promise, I promise it'll all come together. So I'm going to start in John, the 13th chapter. I'm going to go pretty quick, but uh, I, again, encourage you. What's nice about these types of things is you can pause. You can pause me talking. You can go back to what I'm saying. You can get it. You know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. So in John, the gospel of John, the 13th chapter, uh, let's see here, in the 23rd verse, it says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So John, he's the writer of the Gospel of John, of course, and he never calls himself by name. He never says his own name. He never says John did this or John did that. He always refers to himself as whom Jesus loved. So I started thinking about that, and I started looking up. I started looking up how many times he said this. And then in John 19 and the 26th verse, excuse me, I'll start in the 25th verse just for continuity's sake. It says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cephas and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus is on the cross. Verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother the disciple and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. But we're just looking at this little part. The disciple standing by whom he loved. He just said it again. Why is he saying this? John, the 20th chapter, in the 7th verse, he says, let's see here. No, excuse me, the 21st chapter, the 7th verse, it says, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto people, unto Peter. Why does he keep saying this? And then uh, John 20, no, it was in the 20th chapter, my bad. <laughs> the second verse, it says, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. You know? So that's, I don't know if you counted, but John 13, John 19, twice in John 21, and once in John 20. Four, no, let's see here. Yeah, five times John says, this is this disciple whom Jesus loved. And I just started thinking about that. Funny enough, I was actually working. I work at Olive Garden. I serve. And I was just walking around thinking about that. I'm like, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm like, what does that mean? Why did he say that so much? And, you know, one of our teachers at Ramah, Tony McKinnon, he made this really funny statement. He said, uh, you know, John, if you don't know much about John, he wrote his gospel last out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote his last, and he was about 90-something, real old. And uh, one of our teachers said, how convenient you wait to write your gospel to say Jesus loved the most. Uh, so until ev everyone else is dead and they can't dispute it. And, you know, that's, it, I, 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 that's still funny to me. But on a serious note, I really started thinking, what does that mean? And then I started thinking about John, the disciple, in contrast with Peter. So this is a little bit more scripture, and I do not apologize because the more scripture you got on stuff, the, the more strong your foundation is. So Matthew, the 16th chapter the 22nd verse. It says, 
Actually, I'm going to start from the 21st verse. It says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus is already letting his disciples know in advance, yo, I'm going to get murdered, son. He's letting them know. Verse 22, Then Peter took him, took Jesus, Peter took God, took God in the flesh, Jesus, and began to rebuke him. I'm sure lots of us have uh, rebuked God not knowing it was God. and uh, But he rebuked him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this thing, th this shall not be unto thee. So there's the first verse. Now I'm going to go to Matthew 19, the 27th verse, just a couple chapters over. In the 27th verse, it says, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, behold, we have forsaken all and we follow thee. What shall we have therefore? Now we're going to go over to Matthew 26, the 35th verse. Praise the Lord. What did I say? 35? 35. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. And then lastly, John 13. Going back to John. 13th chapter, that same chapter we started with. Excuse me. The 37th verse says, Peter said unto the Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. So I'm just going to point out a couple things between these two disciples. If you notice, there's one underlying thing that connects all these verses about Peter that I'm talking about. Peter was all about what he could do for Jesus. Peter was all about, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll fight for you. Oh Lord, I won't deny thee. I'll follow you. Peter's all about me, 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 me. Very centered on himself, which is prideful. I don't have time to get into that, unfortunately, but that's prideful is when you're being self-centered. You know, being prideful and being arrogant are two different things. Often in the Western world, we define prideful as just being puffed up and like, uh, you know, uh, being very arrogant, being about yourself, thinking you're so good. But you know what? This is an Eastern book. The Bible is an Eastern book. The word prideful just means self-centered. You want to know a fun fact? People that are very quiet and timid and shy, they're some of the most prideful people on the planet. Amen? I know it's going to ruffle some feathers, but it's truth. And if you just listen to me, I'll tell you why. People that don't, you know, how many people are like, oh, I would never talk in front of people. Oh, I, I, how many people are in crowds or, you know, even just five or six friends and there's that one person that just won't speak up. You know why? Because they're constantly thinking, oh, what do these people think of me? They're constantly thinking, I'm not going to look dumb. I'm not going to say something stupid. That's prideful. That's being prideful. So being prideful just means being self-centered. It can go both ways. If you're all about yourself, how excellent you are, look at all this cool stuff that I can do, look how wonderful I am, look at all this money I'm making, blah, 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 blah. You're prideful as well. Anyways, that was, I hope that's for somebody and I'm not just ranting. But Peter's all about himself. Look, I love you, Jesus. I love you. Look what I'll do for you. And you know what? He proved it too. Because it's in his actions. John, the 18th chapter, just a couple of eight, uh, chapters over. In like the 10th verse, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. And uh, this is when they were going to come and take Jesus away to crucify him. But Peter whipped out his sword. You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is like, yo, slow down. 
Slow you slow down, bro. Slow your roll, honey. We don't we don't roll like that. That's basically what Jesus says in a sense. So Peter was all about how much he loved Jesus. But you know what separated John, the disciple, from all the other disciples? John had one of the most important revelations of all. And this is what I really want to get to today. John understood how much Jesus loved him. Man, and I know some of you just wrote that off right now and it's like, yeah, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, we sing that school, we sing that song in Sunday school, but I'm telling you, if you'll focus in on this, this will change your entire Christian walk. Praise God. John understood how much Jesus loved him. So every five, five times in scripture, John says that disciple whom Jesus loved. Every time he says that, it seems so small. It seems so minute. It seems like nothing, but there's nothing. There's nothing in this word of God that is minute and meaningless. I don't believe that at all. My God's very intentional. He's very intentional, very precise. He's awesome about it. It's incredible, man. I was really into literature a lot until I started reading the Bible. You know, I read Paradise Lost, and I was really into J.D. Salinger and Ayn Rand and, and people like that. You know, I, I, I thought I was an intellectual and all this stuff. Blah, 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 blah. Anyways, my point was, man, I started getting in the Bible, and I'm like, who wrote this thing? It's crazy. It's like... 1600 years 60 what is it 40 riders or 66 riders around there and all of it like connects and it the, the smallest little indu windows and the like the it's just so incredible so you want to talk about a holy ghost you want to talk about a rider dude the holy ghost is a good rider amen so there's nothing in the word of god that's so minute and, and pointless sincerely everything everything means something and I know people don't like reading in and you can get off and get flaky and whatnot. But when you, that's why Paul said to Timothy, uh, study to show thyself approved. You know what I'm saying? You got to let everything be established in the witness of two or three. That's what it says in the Bible. That, that's how you build that solid foundation. But anyways, what I'm getting at, excuse me, rabbit holes, rabbit trails, always fun. What I'm getting at is when John was saying the disciple whom Jesus loveth, John was acknowledging the incredible revelation of Jesus loves me, which, you know, there's a couple of big revelations you have in your life that you can use to get close to God. I hate that I use the word use, but you guys know what I mean. And I'm just going to point this out, how essential this is. You know, before you can come to God and accept Jesus, you have to have the revelation, whether you're a small child or a grown man, Whatever it is, you have to have the revelation. I'm a sinner. I am not righteous before God. I need Jesus. He's my substitute. He died for me. I couldn't do it myself. I deserve to die, but Jesus took it. Jesus has made me right by God. Has made me right. Has made me right with God, excuse me. And you come to Jesus based off of that, based off of this place of not trusting in yourself, not trusting in your own abilities. You're trusting in the fact of what Jesus has done on the cross. And just, this is a classic verse. For instance, if you write this verse off when I say it, then you, you don't have a revelation on it because this honestly kind of low-key should be everyone's favorite verse in the Bible. But that's an opinion, I guess, and opinions are like noses. Amen? They got a couple of holes in them. 
Uh, John 3, 16, man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right when you have the revelation that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus to save you, immediately after, you have to come in some form or contact with the idea of, wow, yeah, I'm a sinner, but somebody died for me. And why did he die for me? glory to God because he loves me. Even if you just get that small little piece and the love of God is infinite, you can never exhaust it. I'm going to spend my whole life, the next whatever, 80, 80 years of my, the rest of my life, man, thinking about the love of God. You can't exhaust it. You can't. But if you can get even just a little bit of light at that moment, you know you're a sinner. You say, oh, but somebody died for me. Why did he die for me? It says right here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Man, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So even in salvation, the love of God is central to this. And John, John got this revelation. John wasn't thinking about his love for Jesus. John was thinking about Jesus's love for him. You know, this has really got me thinking about some of the songs that we sing, some of the things that we say. It, 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 this has really been checking me on the way that I think, because, you know, I constantly tell the Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Father, I love you. You know, I'm up there serving them tables of the Olive Garden under my breath. I'm, oh, oh, Jesus, I love you. You know, and you should love God. You should love God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, he who loves me will keep my commandments. He said that in John 15. And it's not commandments in the sense of rules. You know, ooh, I just thought about this verse. What is it? His commandments are not grievous. That's in the epistle of 1 John, which we're going to get to in a little bit here. Anyways, ooh, that's good. As you can, if you can't tell, I, uh, more revelation flows to me just as I talk and speak things out. So if it sounds like I'm impressed with myself, it's not. It's I'm impressed with the Holy Ghost. That, you know, just when you think you're getting good grasp on something, boom, he brings up some other verse. Woo, that's, and that's what Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do. John 14, 26, he said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and do what? And bring all things into your remembrance. I thank the Holy Ghost all the time. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You're my rememberer. You're my revealer. It says he'd bring all things. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You're my bringer. Praise God. I need to remember that grievous thing. Bless the Lord. Anyways, you love God because you you you'll, you want to serve him. That's the benefits of you loving God, which is really important. But you take somebody like Peter who was only about his love for God. He didn't consider how much Jesus loved him. But it's when thinking on how much Jesus loves you, that's when your life is changed. And uh, I mentioned it earlier, we're, I'm going to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John in the fourth chapter. And I'm just going to point out some verses here. Verse uh, 1 John, the fourth chapter, in the ninth verse, it says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in verse 10, it says that he loved us. Verse 11 says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Verse 11, that verse I just read off. He said, God loved us. 
verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath towards us. God is love. That's a third time he mentions it. To top it all off, the 19th verse. We love him because he first loved us. Four times in this one chapter, the, the apostle Paul, uh, excuse me, the apostle John mentions God loving us. And like I said, five times in his own gospel, he mentions, he throws in this little subtle, oh, Jesus loves me. Like it's almost, I almost get the impression that it's John was writing it and reminding himself, yeah, I'm that disciple that Jesus loves. He loves me. So this gospel with this epistle, it is so clear to me how important this is that we realize how much God loves us. And I'm going to rant on a soapbox for a little bit. I can't stand how we don't talk about Jesus's love towards us enough. It's almost like we just pass it by, like a car passing by a sign. And we're just like, oh, there's that love of God. You know, we, uh, we, we trying to watch my mouth here a little bit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, for a long time in my life, I didn't learn Proverbs 21, 23. It says, keep your mouth shut. It'll keep you out of trouble. So that's definitely a verse I try to keep in the forefront of my heart now. But, you know, it, we just talk about the love of God like it's, oh, yep, God loves us. Now let's talk about these really spiritual things like healing and prosperity and faith. And it's just like, I, I just personally, just what I see. And, you know, like I said, it's opinions, but... I just wish we would really exalt how much God loves us more and not just talk about it like it's just, yep, God loves us and he gave his son for us. Now we're really getting deep into these other things in the word. Nah, the love of God is the deepest thing in the word of God. <laughs> this entire Bible right there, smack, smacking it. This entire Bible is a love story. It's a love story, top to bottom. Everything God did is motivated by love. Pulling the greatest events, pulling the children out of the children of Israel out of Egypt, crossing the Red, Red Sea. It's all motivated by love. Jesus dying at the cross, motivated by love. Even God installing the law in the Old Testament was motivated by love so that it could bring us to a place to acknowledge how much we need Jesus so we can realize we don't live up to his standards. Amen. So this is so crucial to me and just in my own personal walk. I started studying the love of God on January 1st of this year. The Lord led me to start studying Song of Solomon. And I've always wanted to be in it, but I knew I shouldn't. And, and he gave me that firm go-ahead to get in it. And I'll tell you, I've been studying the love of God. It's been like two, two months, a little bit now into March. It'll, it's changed my life. It's changed my life. It's, cha it's, it's affected my entire Christian walk. Entire Christian walk. You know, I studied faith, 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 faith for so long. I read every Hagen, Lester Summerall, Norville Hayes, John Olstein, Marilyn Hickey, and I love all those teachers. I, I would literally fight anyone who <laughs> talks bad about those teachers. I say that in like a loving, joking way. But, you know, it wasn't until I came into the knowledge of how much God loves me that my Christian walk has changed. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself right now, but it's all right. We're just flowing with the Holy Ghost, going where he wants to go. Galatians, the fifth chapter and the sixth verse. Listen to this. It says, For Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth nor uncircumcision. That basically just means um, 
doing all this stuff on the outward appearance or not doing it doesn't it doesn't avail you anything in Jesus Christ because Jesus doesn't look at what you're doing. He loves you regardless and in spite of what you're doing. It says, but faith which works by love. You know, oftentimes we use this verse just to say, hey, if you're not walking in faith towards your other human being, you're, uh, excuse me, if you're not walking in love towards your other uh, fellow human beings, your faith isn't going to work, which there is a truth to that. Jesus said the same exact thing in Mark, the 11th chapter and the 25th and the 26th verse. You know, that's a Bible principle. But what a deeper revelation I feel this verse is, what the Lord has been witnessing on my heart is faith, which worketh by love, meaning when you realize, glory to God, when you realize how much God loves you, oh, do you know how easy it is to believe God? Listen to this verse to pair right along with that. After I started seeing light in that verse in Galatians, Lord led me to this verse in Romans 8.32. It says, He, God, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you know what this verse is saying? This verse is saying, If God the Father was willing to give up his only son to die for you, to go to hell for you, to suffer for you, to experience death and the punishment that me and everyone else on this in the on the face of this planet deserves if he was willing to do that oh what he's not gonna pay your rent this month you know what i'm saying oh he's not gonna give you that car you 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 want oh he's not gonna heal your body if you're struggling with having all this faith if you're struggling struggling with prosperity if you're struggling with healing you're not having a healing problem you're not having a, a faith problem you're having a love problem. The word does say faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But you know, if you're hearing about how much God, I don't, I don't mean, but as in that's wrong. I mean, but as in, it's not quite in the way we might use it as in listen to scriptures about faith, 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 faith. Yeah. You need those scriptures, dude. The, there's a balance between God's love and his grace. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, we often, never mind. I won't say that. Praise the Lord. But uh, listen to this verse in Ephesians 2, 8. It says, for by grace, you're saved through faith. You're not saved by grace alone and you're not saved by faith alone. You're saved by faith through grace. It's the combination of the two. And you know what the grace of God is? The grace of God is the goodness of God. The grace of God is giving you what you don't deserve. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when you have a revelation of this, of how good God is, well, what's the goodness of God? That's love. Love is goodness. You know, when you have a revelation of how much God loves you, boom, your faith will grow so much exceedingly. I can't tell you how much that's, you know, I, I, I for months, you know, I, this is my first time living on my own out here in Oklahoma. I moved from Georgia and I'll tell you, it was just like, man, like bills and rent finances. But once I came to the point where I'm like, whoa, what? No, Jesus loves me. What? He's not going to pay my bill. Who cares? And every time it looked like I wasn't going to make it, bless God, God always comes through, man. He always comes through because you have an understanding of how much he loves you. I'll tell you, this is not taught on a lot, but it is so essential and it'll transform your entire Christian life. I want to look at some other scriptures here. I'm in Romans, so I'm just going to go to the fifth chapter. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Romans, the fifth chapter in the eighth verse. Listen to this verse. But God commended his love towards us, meaning he showed it, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
ninth verse, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you know what these verses are saying? These verses are saying, if while you were at your all-time low, you, you didn't deserve anything, if while you were in that state, Jesus died for you, it's saying, how much more does he love you now that you're into the kingdom of God, now that you're, now the, now that you're the father's son? You know what I'm saying? I really like the Passion Translation. I'm a King James man, if you couldn't tell already, but I really do like the Passion Translation. I think the heart of it is very, very on point with what I believe. Listen to these uh, verses in the Passion Translation. I'm actually going to start in the sixth verse this time. It says, For when the time was right, the Anointed One came and died to demonstrate His love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless, excuse me, to save yourselves. Sorry, y'all, I'm going through puberty still. Verse 7, Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person, but Christ. You know what I'm saying? I know one minister said, thank God for the buts in the Bible. Amen. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful decoration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, woo, glory, how much more we will be rescued from sin's dominion. I'll tell you, man, those, 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 those verses in this Passion Translation really highlight what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. You're righteous in God's sight. You who's listening right now, you're perfect to Jesus. You don't have to do anything to earn God's love. You don't have to live a holy, consecrated life to, 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 for Jesus to love you. Does that mean you don't live a holy and consecrated life? No, because that's stupid. Amen. I don't know if that's too harsh or blunt sounding, but I got to be, I got to really draw the line on how I feel about all this stuff. What did Paul say in Romans 6? I got it right here. He said, what then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, I'm going to go in a little rabbit hole just to explain this real quick so no one twists what I'm saying. You are not living a holy and pure and clean life to get Jesus to love you. You're not living it so that God he'll love you a little bit more and he'll bless you a little bit more. No, 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 no. What did it say? It said, God commended his love towards you and yet while you are still sinning. Do you know the great, ooh, man, this is burning in me right now. Do you know the greatest miracle you've ever received in your entire life is being born again? Your spirit, 
the innermost you, there is no sin nature in your spirit. There's nothing wrong with you in your spirit. You might have some things going on in your mind and you might have some things going on in your body, but you're a three-part human being. And the Bible talks about how the spirit is the inward man. It's the one true man. It's your heart. And your spirit, your heart has been transformed. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. What did this passion translation, it says right here, for through the blood of Jesus, what's the, what's the point of the blood of Jesus? It's because G God demanded justice on your sin, but Jesus took the punishment, praise God. It says, for through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful decoration. You are now righteous in my sight. Ooh, man, it's, it's getting heavy in here right now. You're righteous in my sight. Song of Solomon 4.7, it's the king talking to this woman. He says, oh, you're, you're lovely. He says, there is no spot or wrinkle in you, praise God. So it says, if you can receive the greatest miracle in your life, which is getting born again, if you can do that by doing nothing, then why are we applying this to all these other things in the Bible? Let me expand a little bit more. Y'all tell me right now, how much fasting did you do to get born again? Right? How much praying and studying the word in the Bible did you do to, to get salvation, to accept Jesus? The answer is zero. You might read the Bible a little bit, but your eyes were blinded to it. You couldn't understand it. It made no sense to you. And if you're born again now, now it should be life to you. Now it's like you're seeing things in the light of the word. You know, uh, Psalms 119 says the entrance of his words giveth light. Amen. But you didn't do any of that stuff to get born again. You came to God on the basis of what Jesus had done. So why do we have this attitude of, oh, if I can just pray in tongues a little bit more, if I can just read 10 more minutes in the Bible today, or if I can just pray a little bit longer today, if I can just lend a little bit more money out, put a little bit more in the offering uh, bucket, why do we have this mindset of, uh, oh, if I can just do these things a little bit more, then God will heal my body. Then he'll give me my finances. You know what that is? That's trusting in yourself. That's righteousness based off of what you can do. But if we do it for salvation, why do we apply it to anything else in the, in, in the body and in the word? Amen. If you can't tell, I'm real passionate about this. And I'm, I'm speaking from a place of passion, not against people, but because I was there. I have experienced this in my life. You know, uh, when you focus a lot on faith, you know what it does? It puts pressure on you. It puts pressure on you. It puts pressure on you. Oh, I got to have faith. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to study the word. You, uh, again, do you know why you live holy? And you know why you study the word in this? For these, for these couple of reasons. I'll tell you right now. The first is because you love God. I'm going to turn to the verse real quick. This is not where I was going, but we're just going with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Look at this. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, 10. Uh, there's so many in here, but he just, he just, he, he goes on to talk about this. If you love me, you'll keep my word. So you live a good life because you love Jesus, not because you're trying to earn his love and not because you're trying to make yourself clean and good enough for God. No, you do it because you love God. What's the other reason? You know, Paul talked about it in Romans, the sixth chapter, one of just one of the in, most insane chapters in the Bible to me. He said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any there, live any longer therein? It's, it's kind of like 
You know, this is the illustration the Lord gave me. In the Civil War, the Emancipation Proclamation was given out. But do you know that there were slaves that didn't know that that happened? So y'all tell me this. Was their freedom bought? Yes, it was. The freedom of these slaves had been bought, but they didn't know it had been bought. They were ignorant to it. So they could have walked off and left it at any time. Paul uses that same example in Romans chapter 6. You're, why would you be a slave to sin? Why, why would you need to uh, cuss and chew and go with those that do, as them, as them, them Texas folks say? <laughs> why would you need to do drugs? And I'm not speaking against anyone. I'm literally standing right, sitting right here and telling you I've done hella drugs. I've, I've, I've done hella drugs. I've had lots of sex. I've, had, uh, I, I, I've talked like a sailor, a sailor. Goodness gracious. Woo, glory to God. If you can't tell, I'm just getting excited about these things. I've done all this stuff. I, I've thought nasty things. I've been nasty. I've said nasty. But I'm telling you, there's a better way for you. There's a better way. And it's not because you can be accepted in God's sight. It's so that he puts these uh, precautions for our safety. You know, it's like a mom saying, hey, don't touch that stove over there. Why is a mom telling their child not to touch a stove? Because the child's going to get hurt, and then they're going to come running back to the uh, come running back to the mother, and the mother's going to be like, "I told you not to do this, and this is why." That's the way sin is. I my whole life, I thought all these regulations in the Bible, I thought they were just to try to control me, and that's what society tells you: "Oh, live free, have sex with anyone you want, do all the drugs you want, do that, this, that, and the third. But you know what? Regardless if anyone else is willing to admit it, I'll admit it. When I was doing all those things, I was still laying in my my bed night after night, sad and depressed and empty. And if you're real with yourself, you're, 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 you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I'm meddling, but you know, you're getting drunk Friday, Saturday night, then you wake up Sunday morning feeling like crap. You're empty inside. You just won't admit it. And that's prideful. You're blinding yourself. Come to Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. You know, even after I came back to Jesus, I've been born again my whole life. Even after I came back to Jesus, you know, I still tripped on shrooms like one more time. You know, I still smoked a little bit after, but my heart was pointed towards the Lord and he was so patient with me and he showed me where I was missing it and he showed me how those things were wrong and he'll do the same exact things for you. Romans 2, 4, it says the goodness of God brings men to repentance. God loved on me and it made me want to come to him more. And God, Jesus wants to love on you, you who's listening. He wants to love on you if you're lost out there. I'm telling you there's a better way. I'm speaking from a perspective of a man that is off drugs, is off sexual stuff, is off talking dirty. And I'll tell you, oh, you feel so much better. It's for your own benefit. It's not for God's benefit. He loves you regardless of what you do. But Paul, yeah, so you live holy and you do these things because you love Jesus. You do it because it makes your life better. The third reason is you do it to be a good witness to people. You can't claim you know the love of Jesus, but yet you're like trashed every Friday night and you're depressed and you're you're posting your problems on Facebook and you're uh, pessimistic like everyone else. What's the why would anyone who's not born again want to want to be a Christian? They're looking at you. You're you're poor, broke, sick, depressed as everyone else. What, what's the incentive? So there's that. It's a good witness to other people. The fourth reason is when you when you sin. You are sort of like, I think I've always thought about it like this. God is holding an umbrella. And as long as you're just abiding in his love, the enemy, Satan, has a really hard time touching you. He really does. But when you step out of that umbrella and you start living how the devil lives, amen, 
I'll tell you, what you're asking for is for the devil to come up and eat your lunch and pop the bag, bless it. You're giving a foothold to the devil. You know, James, the book of James 4, 7, it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We know we quote that verse a lot, but you know what the first half of that verse says? It says, submit to God and resist the devil. If you're trying to resist the devil and evil things, but you're not submitted to God's ways, his love, you're, you, you can't, you, he won't flee from you because you're, it's almost like you're legally giving Satan a right to just cause havoc in your life. And I lived it, dude. I lived it, dude. And God was so merciful with me. There's plenty of times I should have died. I should have got sexual diseases. I should have got people pregnant. You know, I should have overdosed plenty of times. Car wrecks, blah, 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 blah. But God had mercy on me. Praise the Lord. You know, I was talking about faith earlier. I know this seems kind of scattered brain, but I know all this stuff is for somebody. And at the very least, it's for me because I constantly am trying to remind myself of this stuff. Um, you know, Paul told Timothy, he said, oh, bless it. How did he word it? He said, here it is. Second Timothy two thirteen. He said, if we believe not yet, he abide faithful. He cannot deny himself. Stop trusting in your own faith. Stop trusting in your own love. It's not even your faith. It's the, it's the faith of God inside of you. That's a whole other teaching in itself. Anyways, first John, the, the fourth epistle, we're finally getting to it. It's, uh, I already read these verses, but now I'm looking at them from a different perspective. It says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that, he might, that we might live through him. Acts 17, 28, we live and we move and we have our being in Christ. We live from not in our own abilities, not trusting in ourselves, not regarding what we think about ourselves, but we have Jesus's opinion. We have Jesus's opinion. Herein is love, meaning this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know what the word propitiation means? Because I didn't know when I started studying the Bible, I had to look these things up. Study to show yourself approved. If the Bible doesn't make sense, put in a little effort. If you're learning an instrument, you know, you got to learn music notes. You got to learn what a chord is. You got to study. The Bible's the same way. You know what I'm saying? And it's not to gain something from God. It's so that you can put yourself in a position to understand God more. Amen. God sent Jesus to be the propitiation the pro <laughs> the for our sins. This is a crispy mic, praise the Lord. Propitiation means substitute, meaning you and me and everyone that's ever lived and ever will live, we deserve to go to hell. We really do. There's not a hell deep enough for what we deserve compared to God. The, the Old Testament, before Jesus, it says our righteousness, our goodness is like filthy rags compared to God. And if you've never, you know, this is what helped me a lot. When I first came back to the Lord, fresh off of drugs, or weaning myself off drugs, I just started reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you know what I started realizing? I'm like, wow, like Jesus is awesome. He is just so perfect. He's so loving. He's a baller. He's not like a, this little, this little uh, pushover pacifist at all. He, you know, he's walking into churches. He's flipping over stone tables. He's got whips. He's getting people out of there. He's, he's, he's got a holy, righteous, and boldness about him. Proverbs 28.1 says the righteous are bold as a lion. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I don't even know why I got off on that, but he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Me, I deserve to go to hell. I do. I, have, I had a sin nature, 
but Jesus took my punishment. You know, people often talk about, oh, if God's real, how could he allow these things like 9-11 and allow these things like the Holocaust and whatnot? And they talk, they criticize God for what he allows, but yet those same people will look at the Old Testament and look at how God gave justice and how it, that people deserve to die in the Old Testament under the law, under condemnation, and they're like, look how cruel God is. Well, which is it, honey? Which is it? You want God to bring justice or you want God to be merciful? I don't know about you guys, but I prefer God to, uh, to operate in his mercy instead of his justice because I deserve to go to hell. Jesus is the substitute for what you deserve and what I deserve, man. This, Yeah, people tell you, hey, you're going to hell if you don't repent. Well, that's not very good news, right? That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. You want to know what this good news is? The good news is Jesus loves you. God sent his only son. Why? Because he loves you. Jesus loves you and he loves me. He loves all of us. That's why the, the, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, he left heaven. He left heaven. He put on this meat suit. He was tempted in every way like we are tempted, it says in Hebrews. Every like manner, you'll everything you've ever felt, Jesus has felt it. And if he didn't mess up in his life, he felt it on the cross because he took your sins. He took your iniquities. Jesus did it all, baby. He didn't leave one thing out and he did it all out of love, man. This is the gospel, the grace of God. He loves you so much. You didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nobody deserves this wonderful sacrifice. But now, like Romans 5 says, it's a free gift of righteousness. He gives us his grace, and by faith, you just reach out and grab what he's done. That's the entire Bible. You know, so I'm, I'm going back to John and Peter and these type of things. John understood his love. Jesus' love towards him. You know what Peter's love was? Peter's was love, but it was a selfish love, a human selfish love. What the world calls love is not love. The, what the world calls love is selfish. And this is something I started seeing earlier in the Bible. You know, my de definition of love before Jesus was, oh man, look how this person makes me feel. Look how good looking this person is. Look what this person does for me. Look how they make me feel. It's selfish. It's me, 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 me. Amen. But what is God's love? God's love is I love this person regardless of what they do. Jesus said this in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the 46th and the 48th through the 48th verse. He said, if you love the people that love you, what makes you different than a sinner? Nothing, because even sinners do that. Even people who don't know God love the people that love them. But what makes God so special is he loves you not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are. God doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because he is love. This statement right here, I'm going to say it. A lot of people aren't going to get it, but if you can chew on it and grasp it, I promise it'll change your life. God loving me has nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with him. I believe Andrew Womack's the one that said that. God doesn't love me because of who I am. He loves me because he is love, and that's what love does. So I'm really trying to point out these contrasts between the two types of loves that John and Peter had. Peter's was a selfish human love. Me, 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 me. I'll do this. Look how much I love you, Lord. But John was all about, look what you've done for me. Oh, you love me. Praise God. While I'm on the vein talking about Jesus sacrificing himself and whatnot, I want to go over here to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Awesome chapter, the 19th verse. It says, God was in Christ, meaning God, uh, Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. First John 1 14, the word, the Bible became flesh and he dwelt among us on the earth. Praise God that he did. 
Jesus left heaven and then God through Jesus, it says he's reconciled us to himself. The only reason I know what this word reconcile means is because I used to deliver pizzas for two years at Pizza Hut. And at the end of the night, what you did was, excuse me, what you did was you asked the manager, hey, can I reconcile? That meant you were going to leave. Well, what does that word mean? It means you got all your cash. You got all your credit cards uh, receipts. You got all your receipts. You got everything you needed and you organized it and then you brought it to the manager. And then he, he went through it and he decided if he had to give you more money or if you had to give him your cash, whatever it was. So reconciling means to just pull everything together and sort through it and like come to an ending cause, an ending point, if that makes sense. It says he's reconciled us to himself by Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it says he's given unto us the, excuse me, excuse me. Therefore, whew, I'm, I'm, my, my eyes are getting wobbly. Reconciling the world unto himself. And then it says not imputing their trespasses. There's that word imputing again. It's the same thing as uh, that was in 1 John, the fourth chapter we're reading. This word imputing, I know what this word means because my mom's a bookkeeper, deals with numbers and stuff. The word imputing is kind of like you owe a debt. When you use a credit card, you're not paying that moment, but what's happening is you're electronically seeing an impulse through all that stuff. And under your name and under that credit card, that charge is imputed to you. You now owe that. It's imputed unto you. So think about that. Think about this verse with that in mind. It says, it says, God is not imputing your trespasses, your sins, the things, the reason that you deserve to go to hell, which isn't because of all these individual sins, side note. It's because you, you have a sin nature. You had a sin nature. And that's the reason why. It's, people think it's because you get drunk or you smoke weed or, you, or you're, you have sex before marriage. That's, none of that stuff is sending you to hell. Not one of those things is sending you to hell. In uh, John 4, uh, 16, it says the Holy Ghost would convict the world of sin. Well, what sin? The sin of not believing on Jesus. Little side note there. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and have commuted, com committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God is not mad at you. God loves you. And he sent Jesus to prove it. Glory to God, man. Glory to God. This is the gospel. Right here, what I'm saying right now, this is the gospel. I want to end with these verses over here in Colossians. Uh, started About to start studying Colossians real in-depth. That's real exciting. And in the fifth verse of Colossians 1, it says, For the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So he's talking about the gospel. He's saying, which is come unto you. It says, this gospel that has come unto you, it says, as it is in all the world, it brings forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Listen to that last sentence. Knew the grace of God in truth. You know, you can abuse the grace of God. Paul said, I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. But anyone who thinks grace is just us, excuse me, anyone who thinks grace is just a preaching to give a license to sin doesn't understand the grace message because it's when you understand that you're under grace, then you, you know, Proverbs 16, let me turn here real quick. Proverbs uh, 16, verse 6. Wasn't planning on sharing this, but I feel like I should. 
16 verse 6, it says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. You know, the fear of the Lord. You know, you can be in fear of, of God that he's going to smite you and you'll live a holy life, man. You're not going to smoke a cigarette. You're not going to do any of these things because you're afraid. But it says men depart from evil. By true mercy and truth iniquity is purged. But what is mercy and truth? Those are attributes of love. And it says sin is purged. When you understand how much God loves you, man, it, you'll, you'll serve God 10 times more infinitely out of love than you ever would have out of fear. Just throwing that in there free of charge. Amen. So it says, you knew the grace of God in truth. When you know the grace of God in truth, in the same verse, it says, this gospel that's come unto you, it brings forth fruit. When you know the grace of God in truth, it'll bring forth fruit in your life. Well, what is the grace of God? What is this gospel that Paul's talking about? In this same chapter, in the 22nd verse, it says, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This is the grace of God. This is the grace of God that Jesus is constantly looking at you and telling you how much he loves you. You know, I'm going to end here with just a couple of verses, I promise, from Song of Solomon, just to point out how Jesus feels about you. This is the shepherd king in this story talking to the Shulamite woman, which is a picture of Christ and us. So this woman, she says, she says, I'm black or like a, basically she's saying I'm ugly. I'm in depression. Black represents darkness. It, it, this is not talking about the actual skin color. This is talking about uh, the passion translation says I'm in this twilight darkness. It's, it's talking about separation from God. She says I'm black. And then what does the king say? He says, no, you're lovely. Says you're calmly. She says, I'm like the, I'm like the tents of Kadar, these nasty camel hair tents black tents they're disgusting they smell and then he says no you're like the curtains of solomon oh you're a curtain of royalty weaved together with fine purple which represents royalty and blue and red and uh the the shepherd king says he says behold you are fair my love he says you're my rose of sharon you're my lily of the valley Woo! he says Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Winter's gone. Flowers have appeared. The singing of the birds has come. Spring is here. It's a new day. Let me love on you. He says, oh, my dove. This is Jesus talking to you right now. He says, oh, my dove, I've hid you in the clefts of the rock in this secret place, in this place of communion with him. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for sweet is your voice and, and lovely is your face. You know, in this story, before she shows her voice or speaks, he already says she's lovely. This is a picture of you don't have to do anything for Jesus to love you. Oh, he just loves on you. He says, he constantly, you know, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, it says, Thou art fair, my love, there's no spot in thee. Now I'm going to go over here. This is the last verse I'm going to use, I promise, praise God. This is a man, Nathaniel, and he's coming. Uh, Philip, Philip, the disciple Philip, took this man, Nathaniel, to come see Jesus for the first time. And in John, the first chapter, in the uh, 47th verse, it says, And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Um, the Passion Translation really breaks it down good. It says, In whom he's lovely, he's perfect. Jesus is looking at Nathaniel, and the same thing that he's saying to Nathaniel is the same thing Jesus is saying. He's saying, look at you. You're so perfect. 
you're so lovely. I love you. You know, oh, you're, you're wonderful. There's, there's nothing you could do to make me not love you. You know, and people think that this is just a license to sin. But when you just come to a revelation of how much Jesus loves you, oh my goodness, man. Oh my goodness. You just, it's overwhelming. You're drunk in the love of God. Ephesians 3.19 says, if you know the love of Christ, which passes mere intellectual knowledge, it says you're going to be filled with all the fullness of God. Song of Solomon 2.1 in the Passion Translation says, yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, meaning though you're still in the world, even though you're transformed, the world around you is horrible, still you remain as pure as a lily, even more than all the others. So I hope you guys really got something out of this. I think I went almost about an hour, if not a little over. Pray on these things. Meditate on these things. Be like Mary. Ponder these things in your heart. Jesus loves you. He's not mad at you. Just let his cleansing love wash you. Oh, glory to God. I could keep on going, as you can tell. But hope you have a blessed rest of the day. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'm doing this just to obey God. And I love you guys. And I'm happy to be able to share what the Lord's laid on my heart. If you like it, feel free to share it with other people. Um, you know, I'm not, if you haven't noticed, I'm not very good at promoting stuff. Same thing with our music. I just put it out and let the Lord do with it what he wants to do with it. But man, enjoy this thing. Listen to it. Tell me what you think. Give me some feedback. Message me. Uh, call me. If you go to school with me, really let me know what you think. Uh, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen.